Hello everyone, welcome to Culture Cast. My name is Jack Lipsy, your host for this program, and I'm certainly happy that you have joined me today. Before we get into today's episode, which I'm really excited about, a couple of shameless plugs, but also to give you an update about what we did this past weekend, be sure to go visit us at thedailyapologist.com. Also, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. All of that information will be in the little uh, description box of SoundCloud, I guess you could say. Uh, But be sure sure to give us a like and a follow over on Facebook uh, so that we know that we are reaching you there. This past weekend, me, Dean Meadows, and Nathan Liddell of The Daily Apologist were honored to go and to speak at the Lithia Springs Church of Christ in Lithia Springs, Georgia, at their youth lectureship that they have each year. There were quite a few in attendance. We were very happy to be there. So thank you if you are listening to all of those at the Lithia Springs congregation for your warm hospitality, your your welcoming presence, and we hope that we were able to uh, to give you some information, some things that maybe reiterated things you already knew, uh, maybe gave you some things that you didn't already know to think about. But we do hope that you will be checking in further, doing some personal study of your own with some of those things uh, to, to make yourselves more prepared to defend the faith. We are just happy that we could be a part of that journey with you. Now, what I want to talk about today is actually uh, what I presented over at the youth lectureship there in Georgia this past past weekend, and it's a little bit of a different path than what we have been taking. We've been talking about some things in the immediate culture, some things having to do with transgenderism, some things having to do with uh, with truth and things along those lines. But there's also something else that is in our culture today. It's not as prevalent, but it is still there. And to kind of set this up, I'll tell you about uh, 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, I went to the movie theater with one of my friends, and we went to see the new movie by Bill Maher called Religulous. And this movie was essentially to show how religion is ridiculous, how all of these different things that we find in the different religions, how they are all just copycats of one another, that there's really nothing new or original, but that that it's it's just all been recycled. And so at one point in the movie, Bill Maher actually says that Jesus is just a copycat of other ancient Egyptian gods like Horus or Osiris or Mithras or different different gods like that from ancient Egypt. And he started flashing all of these facts up on the screen, all of these parallels between Jesus and these other gods. And I had never heard this before. I had never heard this argument that Jesus is just a copycat of all of these other dying, quote-unquote dying and rising gods. And at the end of the movie, and especially after that particular part of the movie, I kind of just sat there thinking about that, and I remember thinking in my head, oh no, because if what he has just said and what I have just been presented with is true, then Christianity has a lot of work to do. Are these parallels real? Are they actually are they actually true? But not only that, and here's what we see in culture a lot, that people, 
And, and of course, Bill Maher, I'm sure, might believe this. I, I can't say for sure, but based on his movie, I would say so. That people actually think that Jesus, just as a person, never existed in history at all. People say that he's just a made-up religious figure. And they also say that the existence of someone who did the things that Jesus did wouldn't and shouldn't be in doubt. Their existence should be solidified in history. Now, I do have, I do have a couple of responses to these right off the bat, that Jesus never existed, he's just a made-up religious figure, and the existence of someone who did the things Jesus did wouldn't and shouldn't be in doubt. I have a couple of responses to that. First, that there are people in history whose existence is never doubted, and they lived way before Jesus, very little was written about them, yet their existence is not in doubt. One that particularly comes to mind is that of Socrates. And the argument, of course, there is too that, well, Jesus never wrote down anything, so how can we be sure that he even existed? Well, we could say the same thing about Socrates. Socrates never wrote down any of his teachings. That was left to his students who did that later, specifically Plato. But Socrates lived way before Jesus, never wrote anything down, and the only thing that we have written about him and the only way that we know about his life is what has been written after him based on those who followed him. Does that sound familiar? Yet, I don't think that any of us would actually say that Jesus was just a copycat of Socrates because he never wrote anything down or the only things that we have written about him were written afterwards by his disciples. I don't think any of us would ever say that. But people like Socrates, their existence isn't necessarily in doubt, and yet they lived way before Jesus. Very little was written about them, and yet people completely believe that they existed in history. The other thing is, is that just because Jesus is a religious figure, and of course I'm using these terms kind of loosely, just because Jesus is a religious figure does not make his existence less credible. I could go ahead and say the same thing about Muhammad. That because Muhammad is a religious figure based in the religion of Islam, that his existence is less credible than somebody else who might not be a, a religious figure. So just because Jesus is a religious figure doesn't make his existence less credible. But also, another thing that we have to remember about history, and the, I have to go ahead and say, I am not, I will admit this, I am not a professional historian, but... I think that these differences are very plain to see for anybody. That the way history was recorded 2,000 years ago and even before that is completely different from the way that it's recorded now. The materials were not as accessible to them back then. They had to be very selective with what they wrote or if, uh, if the materials were more accessible to them, they might be a little bit more flippant about the things that they recorded so recording history was different in different times and different locations. We, we live in the age of instant access to everything. Uh, news articles, breaking news are constantly being updated. Well, if there was 
breaking news back then, it might take a good long while before any sort of update or even just the the bare bones news itself gets to anybody. So we have to take ourselves out of the 21st century lens that we view history and and how we get information passed around. We have to place ourselves, at least for what we're talking about today, back 2,000 years ago to the way that they sent information and the way that they recorded information. So that's something that we also need to keep in mind. Now, the question that I want to ask here in this episode is, did Jesus exist? And if he did, what historical documents do we have that, for lack of a better term, prove that he at least existed in history? And that's the thing about this. Before, and these are recent criticisms of Christianity, specifically of Jesus. It used to be that you had to prove that Jesus was the Son of God because everybody took his existence as a given. Nobody doubted his existence. However, the one thing that we are seeing is before we can lead people to Jesus as the Son of God, we have to establish that he existed in the first place, which kind of gives the Christian a little bit more work to do. However, the historical evidence is there. And I want to look at just a couple of those things today in this episode. We're going to look at some significant historical sources, and we're going to look specifically at three. The first one we are going to look at is that of Cornelius Tacitus, who was a Roman historian who lived anywhere from AD 56 to 120. We're also going to look at Flavius Josephus, who was a Jewish historian who lived AD 37 to 100. And we are also going to look briefly at the New Testament, which was written from AD 50 to 90, is when it was originally written down. Now, what about Tacitus? Why is his historical record so significant? Well, first off, remember, he lived AD 56 to 120, so he was living right in the middle of of the birth and the emergence and the growth of the church, but also he was living and recording history during a time when Christians were going through some severe persecution. In AD 64, there was a fire that broke out in Rome, and the rumor was that Emperor Nero was responsible for this fire. However, in order to get that, well, no pun intended, in order to get the heat off of himself, he decided to blame the fire on the Christians because they were already despised in this in this city. They were already despised by Romans. So why not go ahead and blame them for it? They, people already don't like them anyway. So here is what Cornelius Tacitus wrote and recorded. Remember, a Roman historian, here is what he recorded about this. Therefore, to squelch the rumor, Nero created scapegoats and subjected to the most refined tortures those whom the common people called Christians, hated for their abominable crimes. Their name comes from Christ, who, during the reign of Tiberius, had been executed by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Suppressed for the moment, the deadly superstition broke out again not only in Judea, the land which originated this evil, but also in the city of Rome, 
where all sorts of horrendous and shameful practices from every part of the world converge and are fervently cultivated. Now let me just go ahead and ask you, based on reading that, does Tacitus sound like he is a friend to Christians? Well, no, because he he says that Christians were hated for their, he describes abominable crimes, says that it was a deadly superstition, but also that Judea was the origination of this evil. So Tacitus already is not a friend to Christians. However, Tacitus is extremely important as a historical as historical evidence for the existence of Jesus because he gives us a couple of things. First off, Tacitus tells us that Jesus lived during Tiberius's reign, which we already see is recorded in Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. We also see that Tacitus says that Jesus was executed by Pontius Pilate, who he says was the procurator or the governor of that area. And also he says that Christianity spread after Jesus' death, which we find all throughout the book of Acts. Now, one of the things that we need to make clear about this, too, as I said earlier, that this attack or this criticism that Jesus never existed is fairly recent in, in criticizing Christianity. If you go back through history... Even those, just like Tacitus and just like Josephus that we're about to see, even those who were the most, who were so staunchly against Christianity, who we could consider Christianity's enemies, they hated Christianity, they hated Christians, they hated this new religion. They had every opportunity to come up with this criticism or this argument against Christianity and say that well, Jesus never existed in the first place. Who is this Jesus you're talking about because he wasn't a real person? None of them say that. You don't see people start saying that Jesus didn't exist until late 1700s into the 1800s. And of course, these arguments begin to become, if you want to say more sophisticated, but they become more prevalent. And then people just start picking this argument up and they don't actually study the facts and the historical evidence that we have for Jesus. There's no enemy of Christianity in these early years that claim that Jesus never existed. Whether they liked Christians or not, and we see that Tacitus probably did not, we see that Jesus' existence was never in doubt. We'll, we'll get another quote about that here in just a minute. Well, what about Josephus? What about Flavius Josephus? In his Antiquities, remember, he's a Jewish historian, he says this, At this time there appeared Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one should call him a man. For he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following both among many Jews and among many of Greek origin. He was the Messiah. And when Pilate, because of an accusation made by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him previously did not cease to do so. For he appeared to them on the third day, living again, just as the divine prophets had spoken of these and countless other wondrous things about him. And up until this very day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not died out. Now here's something that's really interesting about Josephus' uh, passage here. He says three things 
that would be very uncommon for a Jew to say about Jesus. He says he was a wise man, if indeed one should call him a man. He also says in here that he was the Messiah. And he also talks about, for he appeared to them on the third day living again, just as the divine prophets had spoken of these and countless other wondrous things about him. These are what are commonly called Christian interpolations of Josephus' passage. And what that means is, is that it's thought, and probably the case, that Christians went in after Josephus recorded this and inserted these things about Jesus to make him appear more than he actually was. And of course, as we see, Josephus being a Jew and not being a Christian probably and most likely would not have said these kinds of things about Jesus. But let's go ahead and do a little experiment. Let's go ahead and take those passages out. And let's read it again without the interpolations and see exactly what it tells us. So, reading this again, without the interpolations that were mentioned. At this time there appeared Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of the people who received the truth with pleasure, and he gained a following both among many Jews and among many of Greek origin. And when Pilate, because of an accusation made by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him previously did not cease to do so. And up until this very day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not died out. Now, we can take out the interpolations, and we see that Josephus, getting as close as we can to what he probably originally wrote, still records that Jesus was a historical figure, that he was a religious figure, that he was executed under Pontius Pilate, and that there was a group that came after his death that started worshiping him, or at least started naming themselves after him. So we still see that Josephus took Jesus to be a historical figure, that his existence was never in doubt. There's also a mid-10th century Arabic manuscript by Agapius. I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. I could be pronouncing it wrong. I tried looking up the pronunciation. I got all sorts of different things. So you know what? You can pronounce it however you want. I'll pronounce it however I want. Anyway, Paul Mayer records in Josephus, The Essential Writings, he gives a citation of this mid-10th century Arabic manuscript of Josephus's passage. And here's what this mid-10th century Arabic manuscript says. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many, among, many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die out. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah, concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. And the tribe of Christians so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. Now, one thing about this, we can see that there is a hint of the Christian interpolations still there, but they are slightly tweaked, because whereas the other one said he was the Messiah, this one says, accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah. And then also we see that instead of he appeared to them three days later, alive again, it says they reported 
that he had appeared to them three days later after his crucifixion and that he was alive. So even with this Arabic manuscript, we still see that the interpolations are there, but they've been tweaked to give to give some discretion and to give a little bit of, of skepticism to this. Well, he might have been, or, you know, the Christians, they reported that he appeared to them. So we see that even with the interpolation still in here, they've been tweaked, but this still gives us a good chunk of the common knowledge about Jesus that we find in history. Uh, Bart Ehrman wrote a book not too long ago called Did Jesus Exist? And here's what he says, pages 171 through 173. He says, The reality is that every single author who mentions Jesus, pagan, Christian, or Jewish, was fully convinced that he at least lived. Even the enemies of the Jesus movement thought so. Among their many slurs against the religion, his non-existence is never one of them. Jesus certainly existed. And that's absolutely right. None of the enemies against Christianity, no matter what walk of life they came from, never doubted his existence. That is a recent phenomenon that has gained traction, and with people not doing the research they need to do, they fall into it, and most likely they lose their faith. Or those who never had faith anyway are being dishonest with the historical evidence and saying, well, Jesus never existed. How can you believe in someone who never even existed? But his existence from its earliest stages and those who were critics of Christianity never doubted that he was at least alive at some point. Well, we looked at Tacitus. We looked at Josephus. I want to quickly and briefly look at the New Testament. And we could, the historical reliability of the New Testament and the Bible uh, and the Gospels, we could go on and on with the historical evidence for that. But I just want to... I just want to give you a couple of things from the New Testament and then end with a quote from C.S. Lewis. The New Testament has more manuscript evidence than any other book of antiquity. We have over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts. Now, yes, some of these are in fragments. We're, We're not going to deny that. But if you pack on all of the other different translations and all of the other manuscripts that were written in different languages, we have almost 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament from Greek, Syriac, Latin, however many you want to go through. That is an abundance. They, They say that the New Testament, when we compile it all together, that we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the New Testament. More manuscript evidence than any other book of antiquity. The Gospels were also, that talk about the life of Jesus, they were written close to the events that they describe. You think about other descriptions or other biographies of people that were written hundreds of years after they lived, and yet the biographies of Jesus were written mere decades after his existence. Uh, Josh and Sean McDowell, in their book Evidence That Demands a Verdict, they say this, It can be reasonably argued that all four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, as well as the book of Acts, were written within a few decades and certainly within a century of the events they describe. Even most non-Christian scholars acknowledge this and place the canonical Gospels and Acts securely within the first century. Nevertheless, 
Even if a radically late dating were correct, we would still have records for the events surrounding the origin of Christianity that are earlier than those sometimes used to support unquestioned events in history. The Gospels and the book of Acts were written so close to the events that they describe, whereas other events that happened are never in question, even though the sources for for the recording of that event happened hundreds of years after. But with the Gospels and and, and the book of Acts, we have them so close to the events that they shouldn't be in question, and yet they are from the radical skepticism that we see today. So what does the New Testament say about Jesus? I believe that there is a case to be made that the New Testament can be used as historical recording of the life of Jesus. I fully believe that. Just because it's in a religious context makes no difference, especially if we're talking about just the existence of Jesus. But what does the New Testament say about Jesus? Well, We have in Matthew 16, 16, where Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have John 11, 27, that says, Martha said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. John 20, 28 says, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Hebrews 1, 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The New Testament was written within decades of the life of Jesus. Jesus' messianic descriptions, whether he said them about himself or others were saying it like we see here, others were saying it about him, did not have time to become legends. People didn't say, well, you know, this guy Jesus, I know he existed, so let's just go ahead and make him the Son of God. There wasn't enough time to pass in between Jesus' life and the writing of the New Testament in order for that legend to come into play. Besides, there were still people living who could easily have refuted it, and they didn't. What was written down has stood the test of time and history. It has been passed on accurately throughout the centuries, 2,000 years later. And so to say that we just can't know anything about Jesus is completely false because we know that there are historical evidence, there's historical evidence from outside the New Testament that proves he at least existed, but the New Testament being a reliable historical document has himself and other people saying, you are the Son of God. And I don't, I personally do not think that there is any reason to doubt it. Well, what does C.S. Lewis say? One of my favorite books, and if you have not read it, I strongly encourage you to do so. Whether you are a believer or a skeptic, at least read this book. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Here is what's, here's what Lewis has to say. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic 
on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I like what Lewis says there. He says, you must make your choice. Take the evidence that we have for Jesus as we have it. Historical evidence outside the New Testament, the New Testament itself. Look at the evidence for Jesus, and you have to make a choice. Either you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and worship him as Lord and God. That choice is up to you. But one thing that I think we need to do on both sides of this argument is that we need to be honest with the evidence. We need to be honest with the evidence. If the evidence is clear that Jesus existed, let's at least all admit that. And then let's get into a discussion about, well, is the New Testament reliable? Does it pass historical tests that other ancient documents have to pass? And if it does, what does it say about Jesus? written a mere decades after his existence. What were people calling him? Why were they worshiping him the way that they were? You don't create a legend 20, 30, 40 years after the fact. People are still living who can say otherwise. Instead, we need to say, why were they worshiping him? Could it have been, and just like that mid-10th century manuscript said, could it have been that he was possibly the Messiah? And how is that going to change our life? Well, I thank you for joining me today. I hope that you will give this some serious consideration. If you have, I would encourage you to to continue to study it. Our study and our examination of the evidence is never over until we're over, until we're just not here anymore. Keep studying, keep learning, and keep going and learning as much as you can about this. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I will not be here next week. I will be out of town for Thanksgiving, as I'm sure you will be. So even if I made an episode, probably not many people would listen to it. So I will not be here next week. Uh, instead, I might repost one of my previous episodes for you, for if you haven't listened to those, that you can catch up. Uh, but I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with your family and friends. God bless you. Thank you so much, and have a great day.